You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. So this is our last uh, week of this My Story series. I don't know about you guys, but I've been blessed by this series to, to hear about what a testimony really is and how we can really live in community with accountability. And then we got to hear AJ's personal story last week. And uh, we're blessed this week to have Mr. Todd Wolf here. He's part of, of the Impact family, and he's going to share his story. And I know we're going to be encouraged by this story. So I just want you guys to prepare your hearts for this. Give him a round of applause because it takes a lot of work to be up here, a lot of courage. So we're going to pray over him before he starts just that the Spirit will speak through him and give him boldness, and then I'm going to turn it over to him. God, we come to you, Lord. We thank you again that we're in this place together. God, we pray that you speak through your Spirit. God, I pray that every word that that Brother Todd talks, that he speaks, God, that it comes directly from you, and that his story, because of you, will impact the lives of people, not only in this room, but all around this community and even around the world. And we're going to give you the honor and the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Buckle up. This story begins two years ago. Uh, but first, a little background. I'm retired Army. Uh, I did 20 years, and I retired in, in uh, 2006, and then went to work uh, right away as a Department of Army civilian. And uh, I'm in a mobile position, uh, which means I, I'll, I'll deploy and, and PCS like the soldiers do. Uh, maybe don't PCS quite as often, but they do move us around, including uh, to O'Cone's locations. Uh, this, when this began, uh, we had been in Alaska for eight years and had pan- planned on being there for another two years before asking to rotate back to lower 48 just so that I could have close enough time to my re- final retirement that we could just retire in place and I wouldn't have to worry about moving again. But August... 2019, I get a call from my division chief. He says, we got to move you. We're actually uh, getting rid of your position up there, uh, removing that slot, and we're going to move you to Fort Gordon, Georgia, in uh, September of 2020. Hmm, okay. Without going into a lot of boring details, uh, just the whole kind of premise of this move was just a little odd, a little out of the ordinary, doing away with my slot, the timing. It was just... It was a little odd, but, you know, okay, if it's one thing I learned a long time ago, God's plans and God's timing are perfect, and mine are not. Far from it. So, okay, move we will. Fast forward a year, it's August of last year, 2020, and it's getting close to uh, our departure time. House has been sold, movers are coming soon, and we're about to embark on a 4,000-plus mile journey. I've been thinking maybe I should go ahead and get my, uh, my annual physical done early because before my job, I'm required to pass a, a physical once a year. And it was coming due in November. It's three months away, but I know once we get, I'm thinking once we get down to, to Fort Gordon, uh, I know how these, uh, uh, how these moves can work. And... Um, I don't know the 
you know, I know the drill back in Fort Richardson where we were. I knew who to talk to, who to go see, how to make this happen. Uh, you know, I didn't know if COVID had things kind of backed up at, uh, on Fort Gordon. Um, and we were going to be getting into a new house, trying to buy a house. The market's crazy. Uh, you know, getting integrated into a new workplace. And I, I didn't want it to be late. Uh, so I thought, eh, it was just kind of nagging at me. Maybe I'll go ahead and take care of that physical early. It'll be three months early. If it were four months, that would probably have been too much. But I thought, ah, three months is kind of a bubble. I'll go ahead and just knock it out early. So I was teleworking at the time because of COVID. And uh, so I drove into the hospital, uh, to the occupational health clinic, uh, talked to the nurse, uh, explained what, what uh, I was planning on doing, was trying to get done. And she was like, oh, I don't know if we can make that happen. The doctor that was doing these physicals just left. The new one coming in, uh, still under quarantine. You know, I don't know if we can do it, but she's tapping away on her computer. She goes, oh, just, there just happens to be one half day right before you leave. We can get this done. So I'll schedule that. Go ahead and take care of your labs, uh, your blood labs before, uh, before then. I'm like, not a problem. Done this a bunch of times. So two days later, I uh, drive into the hospital, go to the lab. They draw like three or so vials of blood, go back home. And I wasn't home very long, and I get a call from a very nervous-sounding nurse at the other end. She said, hey, this is a lab. Uh, we need to come back and redo your labs. Your white blood cell count was really low, and we just want to make sure it's not our equipment. Maybe it's our equipment. We don't know. Why don't you just come back? Okay. Not a problem. I'm just thinking, ah, it's just their equipment. No big deal. I go back. This time they drew twice as many vials of blood and had already made me an appointment with my primary care doctor the next morning, which tells me they knew it wasn't their equipment. Okay, so next morning I go to see my doctor and he says, do you know why you're here? I said, well, the lab said that my white blood cell count was low. He said, it's not just your white blood cell count. It's also your red blood cells and your platelets. All your numbers are rock bottom your entire bloodline has crashed. Right now, you have no immune system. If you got sick with anything, your body couldn't fight it. If you got cut, you might not be able to stop the bleeding. And I'm just stunned. COVID is raging. COVID would have killed me. And I just, you know, I don't know what to think. I'm like, well, what might this be? I said, well, it could be, he was kind of purposely vague. He said it could be something myelogenous could be something or other anemia, could be the result of a viral event. Uh, but uh, I'm going to set you up with a, a bone marrow biopsy and then we'll uh, you know, find out what this is and uh, you know, we'll, we'll roll from there. I said, well, there's going to be a problem with that. I'm PCSing. My house is sold. The movers come in five days. And we're leaving out, we're driving out in about two weeks. And his eyes get big and his jaw kind of drops. And he's like, oh, if you were a soldier, I could stop that. But I can't do that with you. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't own my home anymore. We have, to, my furniture is going to Georgia. I mean, I, I don't know how to stop it either. And he said, well, uh, let me do some checking. And uh, uh, I'll call you a little bit later. And so I just leave kind of stunned. You know, from a military background, I guess I, in life, I like to have a plan. I like to have a plan. I like to have a backup plan. I like to have a backup for the backup plan. 
And then I like to have mitigations for any balls that are dropped along the way. I like to be prepared. I don't want bad things to happen because I wasn't prepared. But for this, man, I had nothing. This really threw me for a loop. So I go home, and uh, he calls me, and he said, all right, I talked to an oncologist, and she said to go ahead and have you travel. If you stayed here in Alaska, we'd have to send you out of state for treatment anyway. But in the Augusta area where you're going, there's a lot of good uh, medical facilities, and you'll be able to get treatment there. So I'm going to prescribe you some strong antibiotics, try to get you there safely, uh, just try to be quick about it. You know, don't get sick, don't cut yourself. I'll work on that. And then he said, this hospital you're going to there, Gordon, is that, a, is that an Army hospital or an Air Force hospital? And I said, oh, I'm sure it's Army. Uh, they said, well, this would be easier for Air Force, because he was an Air Force doctor. This was actually an Air Force-run hospital uh, there in Fort Richardson. It's a joint base. And he said, I'm going to call ahead you know, uh, and uh, try and get you, try and get you set up. I'll, I'll explain your situation, give them a heads up, and uh, you know, see if we can get you taken care of. And that was on a Friday. By the movers were coming Tuesday. Between Monday and Tuesday, uh, he called me back and gave me some people to talk to down here. And and the end result was, uh, I ended up getting an appointment. And this was a really a great, uh, a big concern, a big part of my worry because. I've done enough of these military moves. How this normally works, travel to Fort Gordon, change my TRICARE region, get assigned a new primary care doctor, get that first appointment. COVID could have that backed up, I don't know. Get that first appointment, they may want to do their labs, and then uh, refer me to a specialist. If they don't have one there on post, and they got to refer me off post, and TRICARE referrals then can take time, and I'm thinking we're not leaving for... I'm not supposed to get there for three and a half weeks, and then I, I don't know if I'm going to get a diagnosis for, shoot, could be two months. That was a great source of stress because it was just so open-ended. But he, he facilitated an appointment. I had an appointment a few days after we were to arrive with an oncologist, so I skipped some very lengthy steps and had, had, a, had a hard time, had an appointment with an oncologist. So that was... That was a great relief. I had a little light at the end of the tunnel. I could kind of see the path. So, okay, that, that, that's a big deal. We got a long way to go. But that was, that was really a big deal. Uh, and I, I was telling myself, I'm not going to Google this. I'm not going to Google it. I don't know enough. He was kind of vague. He, I'm not going to go down 15 different rabbit holes worrying about, you know, looking up, finding all these awful things that could be. I don't know anything specific enough. not going to Google it. Okay, and then uh, our daughter Ashley lives in Arizona, and we're talking to her on the phone, and she said, you know, I want to take, take time off work and come up and help you drive. You're driving over 4,000 miles. You're going through Canada. It's a long trip. You're going to be pushing hard to get there quickly. Uh, you know, I want to be, I love to drive. I love road trips. I want to help you, you know, just in case there's any kind of emergency in, in Canada. You know, I want to be there to help mom. And I'm like, you know, that all sounds great, but... I don't think I, we can't get you through Canada without being on official orders. She said, well, can't you, can't your doctor write a letter? Maybe. Well, let me ask. So call my doctor up. She said, oh, sure. I'll write her up as a medical attendant. Got it. Picked that up the next morning. 
And, uh, you know, it sounded good, but I'd heard, we'd been hearing a lot of nightmare stories about these border crossings. These, some of these border guards can be very obstinate and, and not very user-friendly. And I thought this was really no better than a coin flip getting her across, because this was not part of the Canadian procedure. This was out of the norm, and, they, and you know, it's kind of like waiting for the emperor to give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So thinking, okay, that's about a coin flip, but uh, something else to pray about. So then it's getting close. We had the last, uh, last Sunday at our church up there, and, uh, you know, we, at the end of the service, you know, the, the congregation prayed, and that was, that was really huge. And, you know, we're sitting in the back of the church, and I'm wearing an N95 mask because I'm doing super social distancing because I don't want to breathe anybody else's air because it's really life or death. And, uh, you know, afterwards, uh, we parked outside and had people coming up individually and, and uh, praying with us and, and uh, offering their support, and that's, that, that's really huge. It's, it's so neat being part of the body. And throughout this whole ordeal, we're hearing about, you know, we'd kind of put out through our family and friends uh, network, uh, you know, what was going on, what I needed prayer for. And what's, what's a neat benefit about being in the Army for so long and, and living in different places is we had, you know, previous home churches, and we had Christian friends just all over the country. And we're getting word back, you know, that, uh, you know, people and, and congregations, you know, it was brought up in church and congregations are praying. And that was, that was very humbling, very humbling. It's really important to, to, to maintain that uh, connection with the body. And it reminds me of uh, what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 19, 20. If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. I firmly believe that. So the time comes. Uh, to leave. We drive to the Anchorage airport, pick up Ashley, run for the border. And we get there and wait in line for a while and finally get up to the, the, to the booth. And Ashley's driving and I hand the border guard our passports, my official orders, and that has Becky and I on it and the letter from the, the doctor and I'm explaining, you know, why she's long. And this guy just was not having it. He was like, well, why didn't you ship the vehicle? And, and then you could, have, you could have flown or you could have done this and that. He's throwing all these scenarios. And I'm trying to explain, you know, I'm tap dancing. I'm just, well, I got, you know, didn't find out I was ill till the last minute. And some things were already in motion. I'm trying to convince him. But he, he really looked like he was, he was giving us a lot of static and he just wasn't having it. But then, like you, fl- you flipped the light switch, his demeanor changed. And he said, okay, go pull over there. I'll bring your paperwork out in a few minutes. Like this is gonna work. Sure enough, he brings our paperwork, and and uh, now we've got our pass, and we can head head out across Canada. Another thing that was a concern is we we shipped my wife's vehicle because uh, it was smaller, but it was also much lower mileage. My truck had over two hundred thousand miles on it. Try to service it best I can, but that's a lot of miles. So I was really concerned that you know a breakdown uh, would have really messed up our timeline. But you know, Ashley was just a. Uh, She's just a driving machine. We made it through in good time, no breakdowns, uh, got there early. We put on some really long days, and uh, we, we actually got there a few days early. And uh, I called the hospital, and I was able to get my appointment moved up. And I'm thinking, things are clicking. I got that appointment. We got through Canada, had a safe trip. 
got the appointment moved up. I mean, the, the path has just been laid so perfectly. I mean, just praise the Lord. This is fantastic. I'm feeling good. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe, you know, I'll, I'll see this guy. I'll get, uh, get a diagnosis. I'll get some meds. My blood count will go up. I'll go back to work. I'll be fine. I'm, you know, just really, really thinking positive. So we went to see the oncologist on a Thursday. And uh, this was a, a, a consultation. He said, look, I can do the bone marrow biopsy tomorrow morning if you want to do it that soon. I said, yes, the sooner the better. Let's keep the chains moving. Let's get this done. And he said, first, we're going uh, to take, take blood and check your numbers again, because depending on what's wrong, the, the numbers could already be going up. You could be getting, you know, could, could be getting better. I'm like, that's it. I was almost counting on that. I said, yeah, my, my number is going to be better. This is going to be great. And uh, went in the next morning, they took blood, and we're in the next room uh, preparing for the, the bone marrow biopsy. And a lab tech comes in and says, numbers haven't improved, they're the same. Eh, okay, minor setback, it'll be fine, not a big deal. And the, uh, the oncologist explains, just gonna drill a hole right back here, and uh, there's two samples he takes. There's two parts of the bone marrow. There's a liquid portion and then a sponge. He'll take that first and there's a spongy core sample that he'll take. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. There's a bone marrow biopsy. It's not pleasant. It's fairly painful. He drills the hole and he's doing his thing. I'm face down the table and uh, I hear him say, oh, I was afraid of that. Afraid of what? And he said, the abnormal cells are so compacted in your bone marrow where the liquid's supposed to be that there's no room for the liquid. It's all pushed out. There's no liquid for me to get. Now, he used the word abnormal, but I know what he's talking about. It's cancer. They're cancer cells. I'm seeing an oncologist for a reason. I understand what he's talking about. So I said he's going to have to drill a second hole and take a second core sample at sometimes the lab's uh, can get the information they need from two core samples. So he does that, doubles my pain. And then when he's done, I sit up and he tells me it's going to take two full weeks, uh, two weeks to get the full results back. I don't know if they had to send it out to a lab somewhere or what, why, why it takes so long, but he said it was going to take two weeks for the full results. And so I said, ask me a final question. And I'm like, yeah, I know you're not going to to guess at a diagnosis, you're going to wait till you get the lab results. But I'm trying to get this guy to throw me a bone because everything is just turning around and was not looking very positive. I just want this guy to throw me some kind of a bone. I said, knowing what you know, is there some kind of treatment I have to look forward to? You know, what, what's happening going forward? And I'll never forget. His demeanor was like he was offering his condolences. And he looked at me and said very solemnly, the medical community has made great strides in enhancing quality of life and longevity of life. And what I heard in my head was, we're going to make you as comfortable as possible while you're dying of cancer. That was not the bone I was looking for. And I was devastated. Friday was a bad day. 
Uh, so I kept telling myself, not going to Google it, not going to Google it. But man, two weeks was a long time to wait. And now I had some specific information. He was using some of the same terms I was hearing from the doctor in Alaska. And now I had this, this scenario with, that happened with me with these cancer cells compacted into my bone marrow. And I held off for about a day and Saturday I'm like, I, I've got to find out something. I, need, I, I just craved information. I, I can't wait two weeks. So I went to Googling, and no matter how I plugged in the, the search parameters, the same thing kept coming back. Different medical websites, different articles. I kept getting the, the, the same thing, and it fit my, my situation to a T. Acute myeloid leukemia. Okay, it's leukemia. Because I didn't know if I had bone cancer or what. I didn't know what it was, but okay, and leukemia. I didn't know much about leukemia, but I know there's different types. I know some types you can live a long life with, with treatment. But well, let me read up on AML. Yeah, AML wasn't one of those. AML requires a lot of chemo, a bone marrow transplant, which depending on uh, whether or not the, the donor match was a family member, there were varying degrees of survivability that weren't always that positive. And one, at least one article I read said that AML patients had a five-year life expectancy. Not the bone I was looking for. So I'm thinking, okay, uh, what, what, what can I mitigate? What other variables are there? What kind of collateral damage can I try to, to mitigate here? Okay, how much sick leave do I have? I've got seven, I looked it up, I had seven months of sick leave built up. And that's a long time, but it's not five years. And at some point, my, when I can't pass a physical, my work's going to have to cut me loose. And I work for great people, they're very supportive, but at, at, at a point, their hands will be tied. I understand that. And they would have to let me go. So I'm like, okay, when that happens, I'm going to lose the bulk of my income and also the biggest chunk of life insurance. This was not something I had even remotely entertained as, as a scenario in my life. You know, if I died suddenly, heart attack, stroke, struck by lightning, I had that covered financially. It's very sad, but I had it covered. Uh, but a, a slow cancer death was not something that I had planned for. I'm thinking, you know, how badly have I screwed this up? Am I not prepared? I mean, it was just, it was a, a pretty horrible feeling. I was, I was going through some serious end-of-life planning at this point. I was, I was pretty broken and, uh, and on my knees. That's probably, probably right, right where I needed to be. But through all this, I was, I, was never, I was never mad. I was not mad at God. It wasn't like, why me? Why now? Why this? It wasn't that. I, you know, I, I've always understood. We live in an imperfect world, and people get sick. This time it was me. I understand. I was very sad, but uh, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't angry. The next day, that was Saturday. The Friday was a bad day. Saturday was worse. Um, next day, Sunday, uh, my son Ryan and uh, daughter-in-law Mindy came to visit. They coincidentally uh, PCS'd 
to Fort Benning at the same time frame. And, you know, they could have been halfway around the world, but they were semi-local. So it was really awesome having them come and, and pray with us and, and support us. I remember telling Ryan, I said, I need some good news. I really, I really need some good news. Coming Monday, come Monday, had to, you know, had to keep the ball rolling, had to, had to continue with life, still had to find a house, couldn't live in a hotel forever, our hotel, our household goods were coming, couldn't keep them in storage forever, had to, you know, had to try and find a house to get into. I didn't know how I'd pay for it in a year, but we had to get into something. So we're looking for a house on Monday. Tuesday afternoon, we were scheduled uh, with the realtor to look again, but Monday morning, I had to go in and uh, to work and take care of some paperwork. And while I was at work, I get a call from my oncologist. He said, I need you to drop what you're doing and go to the emergency room right now. He said, some, and don't come here on post. Go to the Augusta University Hospital emergency room and no other. I'll let them know you're coming. We've got some early results back. Well, it looks like you have APL, acute promocytic leukemia. Now, I knew nothing about APL, but what I did know, it wasn't AML, and I wanted nothing to do with that. So, and he said, we're gonna, if we do have a APL, that's what it turns out to be, we need to get you started on this vitamin A derivative right away. If you don't have APL, this medication won't hurt you. But just to be safe, we need to get you on this right now. So I'm like, okay. Dropped everything, called my wife, said, I'm coming to get you, so what's going on? And I don't know if I'm just going to go in there and get medication and leave. I have no idea. Uh, but we go in to the emergency room, the Gus University Hospital. Uh, they, they get me checked in, and they take us into a back room, and they tell me I'm going to be admitted. I'm thinking, I... Maybe it's just overnight for observation. I have no idea at this point. We're in this back room, and it took hours until a, a room would open up on a cancer ward. We're there for a while. But eventually, uh, an oncologist, the hospital hire, a Dr. Gilello, came into the room. He hand-delivered this medication. They consider it an oral chemo. And he said, we're going to do our own bone marrow biopsy in labs. Oh, okay. But if it turns out you have APL, you're going to be okay. You're going to live. We'll take care of it. That was the bone I was looking for. You could have knocked me over with a feather. So they had, I got into a room, and then uh, the next day, they did their bone marrow biopsy. And while it was going to take a couple of days for them to, uh, to get their results, and uh, while, I'm, while I'm there, I got plenty of time, and uh, some of the nurses are telling me some things about APL and Dr. Gilello. And come to find out, APL used to be nearly a death sentence, where only a small percentage of people lived through 30 days in the hospital. I was very fast moving, very aggressive, very dangerous, and killed most of the people that got it, something upwards of like 90%. That was until this very Dr. Jalela and a partner went to Emory University to conduct some trials, and they developed the successful treatment for APL that has made it the most curable form of 
leukemia there is. What they didn't tell me until later is that they still do have some fatalities early on because it's a very tricky, they have the right drugs, but they're very tricky to manage. But I had the expert in the field as my personal oncologist in managing my care. Two days later, it became official. Dr. Zella came in one evening, just all happy, fist bumping us. He said, you have APL and you're gonna be okay. And he said, how on earth did you come to be at this hospital? And I kind of gave him a, a synopsis of the work move and the, everything it took to if I, you know, get referred to him and to be in that hospital in that time frame. And he's just like, this is truly, uh, um, I'm losing my words. <laughs> this is truly providence. And I said, oh, it's God. I said, God brought us here. And he said, oh, you're believers. I am too. I said, this is providence. He said, and another thing he said, APL is a very fast-moving disease, but for some reason in you, it was moving slower. Like, yeah, that was a God thing too. And when I look back at this journey, you know, there was a time where I was really in the valley. It was dark. I was in the midst of the storm. And I couldn't see the path. It was there, and then I, it was like it was gone. I couldn't see it. But the path was still there. And God was still God. God was still doing God things. And I'm really happy to be here and tell you what he did. So then they, they were going to go visit another church, a different Sunday, and no one was in the parking lot, so they came back to Impact, and they've been here ever since. And again, God works things out even when we don't see it. He's moving in situations even when we don't know. And it's so important for us, as it was for him, not to Google, right? We can't, we can't start thinking about what if, what's going to happen how will this turn out? And it's human nature to do that. But more than anything, what we have to do is believe in a God who loves us. And know that no matter what we're walking through, He's walking with us. And even when we don't see how it's going to finish and how it's going to end, we know we know that we have a Savior 
that we get to spend eternity with. A Savior who has suffered just like we may be suffering. A God who knows our pain. A God who knows our, our crazy thoughts. But a God who loves us through that. And says, hey, just, just cast your fears on me. He tells us to do that. Cast your fears on me. Cast your doubts on me. I haven't given you a spirit of, of fear. I've given you a, a spirit to, to be of sound mind, a spirit to have peace, a spirit to really, truly follow after me. And this morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know what situation you're going through. I don't know what kind of circumstance you find yourself in. But this is what I do know. That God is working. That God is moving. And I want you to be confident in that fact. Now, I don't want you to, to think that I'm saying that everything's going to work out exactly like you want it. Or exactly like I want it. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that God is working and the end result is going to be the best result because it's his result. And we should trust him enough and love him enough to be okay with that. It doesn't mean we're not going to be sad. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have some dark, dark days. It means that we know the one who's in control. And we're able to reach up, we're able to look up, we're able to cry out. And our Father knows our voice. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.